Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why did I see 75 planes spraying white stuff into the sky on my 15-minute drive to work? Does this have anything to do with why honeybees are dying off really fast? Who the fuck thought this was a good idea? I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. I served in the CIA's clandestine service for 28 years, living undercover all around the world. And in my 33 years with the CIA, I served in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. Although we don't usually look at it this way, we created conspiracies. In our operations, we got people to believe things that weren't true. Now, we're investigating the conspiracy theories we see in the news almost every day. We'll break them down for you to determine whether they could be real or whether we're being manipulated. Welcome to Mission Implausible. John, let's talk about contrails or chemtrails as people like to talk. So contrails, as you know, out of the back of airplanes, these long white trails that look like clouds. It's water vapor. It's superheated air that comes out of the back of jet engines and inter- interacts with the human. Yeah, I live near Dulles Airport. I can see lines of them in the sky. And contrails actually go back to World War I when like Sopwith camels were flying along going fast and, and through the atmosphere. And they were a big concern actually in World War II and this sort of takes us into espionage is that the, the Allies when they were bombing Germany or when the Germans were bombing London, the bombers would leave chemtrails which would allow German fighters to shoot them down. So the government actually became very interested in understanding the science behind chemtrails. Coming right into the world of CIA, we were very concerned and did do a lot of study on chemtrails, mostly because of the U-2 spy plane. The the agency on the U-2 actually installed rear view mirrors so that the pilot, Gary Powers, could actually see whether there was a contrail coming out of the back so that he could like change going up and down so that the Soviets couldn't track him as easy. Well, Gary Powers was the guy who was shot down. So when he flew out of Peshawar, Pakistan over Soviet Union, he was the one that was shot down. I when I served in Moscow, there's a the Central Army Museum in Moscow, and it has his destroyed plane and all the wreckage you can go visit. So this has caused 
all sorts of conspiracy theories that I'd like to sort of discuss with you today. The theories behind it are that this is spreading chemicals, then it's not water vapor, and chemicals to do all sorts of things sterilization of the US public, or to make us hypersexual. <laughs> I know. I, or that's, that's not working. That's not working. But I remember it being a big deal after 9-11 because there was a concern, you know, just like a crop duster dusts crops. There was a concern that Al-Qaeda, there was some evidence that they were also looking at flying crop dusters conceivably to put poison in them so that they could fly over cities or areas and use that poison to kill people. So John, theories that people have when they look up and see the contrails in the sky is that the government is using these contrails to put different chemicals into the sky for, for all sorts of different reasons. And I think this is sort of like a Rorschach test and that tells you more about what people are afraid of than what the government can actually do. I think this touches on elements that people have on control of their environment. I think it's a control of things like the health of their children, the health of their families. Even before we think about how you might do it, is there a sterilization chemical that doesn't kill you? Is there a mind control chemical? Why would it need to be sprayed out of planes for Christ's sake? If there's a mind control thing, it would have been great for them to give us to use it on to try to recruit Soviet and Russian and Chinese sources overseas if we could control their minds. Yeah, these are all really good questions. And the answer is, <laughs> the, answer, the, the answer is, no. You're not going to get me to shut up there. <laughs> the answer is, no. There is not a chemical that, that sterilizes an entire population. Although, for example, in the 1960s, chewing gum was forbidden in Egypt because there was a conspiracy theory that Israel had put birth control into chewing gum and was importing it into Egypt to keep the Egyptian population down so that Israel could win more wars. And I know you know, John, in South Africa, there was Project Coast, which was a project by the then apartheid South African government, part of which was to create mass sterilization of their African population. That failed because A, they couldn't find the chemicals to do it, and B, they couldn't find a way of disseminating it. So what happened with Operation Coast in the end was the scientists involved, and one particular individual, Wouter Bassan, who ran this program, ended up running drugs into to black neighborhoods in the hope that this would make them less able to oppose white apartheid rule in South Africa. If I recall, he had a plan to drug Mandela when he was in prison to essentially not to kill him, but to at least make it look like he was, he couldn't articulate. That's right. He wanted to poison with thallium. And so the South Africans, using the very latest in technologies, couldn't come up with a way, despite the fact that they had an entire national effort to do this, couldn't find a way to sterilize large portions of their population and ended up trying to find other methods to do so. So what I'm saying is if we wanted to do it, we'd have to go to South African scientists and sort of build on their research, which was a failure if that was our goal. Well, let's get into it. Let's meet today's guest. Mick West is a, a writer, skeptical investigator, author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole. I think it's a must read for anybody who wants to understand conspiracy theories and the psychology behind it. You were also the host of a 
podcast yourself, Tales from the Rabbit Hole. You administer metabunk.org, which I think is a really cool website for anybody who's interested in understanding conspiracy theories. You're a game developer. I understand you're a wonk and an Englishman. Glad to have you on board. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. I have spent an awful lot of time looking into the chemtrails conspiracy theory, and I do know, uh, unfortunately, more than the average person about chemtrails. <laughs> Let me ask the first question. Essentially, is how did you get interested in the subject of conspiracy theories, and specifically chemtrails or contrails? Well, after I left the video game industry back in the kind of mid two thousands, I was just doing things that I found interesting. And one of the things I found interesting was learning to fly, which has been a lifelong oh. ambition of mine. And whilst learning to fly, you learn a little bit about aviation weather, you know, what's the sky like up there? And you, you obviously see things like planes flying around. And at the same time, I was kind of getting into, I guess, having arguments on the internet with people. And uh, one of those arguments ended up being about the chemtrail conspiracy theory. And I started investigating that on wikipedia at first and then i decided i should i should write a blog because i thought it would be something i could just write a few posts about it explain what the science was behind it and that would clear up the whole thing put that <laughs> one to bed right <laughs> <laughs> and i think that was in 2006 when i did that and obviously it's still going strong and perhaps even making a bit of a comeback can you describe this conspiracy and a little bit about it the chemtrails conspiracy theory is the belief that the long-lasting trails that you sometimes see behind aircraft are actually being deliberately sprayed for some particular reason. And that reason might be that they're spreading some kind of toxin or poison. Uh, but more commonly, the belief is that the spreading of the trails is some kind of attempt to alter the weather and or the climate. And they refer to that as geoengineering. Now, a chemtrail would be a chemical trail. It's basically very simply that they're spraying chemicals into the air, and that leaves a trail of chemicals. Now, a contrail is a condensation trail. So we have the trails that are left behind aircraft are called contrails because it's condensation from the water in the aircraft exhaust. Just like when you breathe out in a cold day, you see condensation. Now, contrails... Sometimes they last for a long time, and sometimes they're just very short and they very quickly dissipate. And that's basically the, the conspiracy theory in a nutshell. And there's two different kinds of contrails, is that right? There's sort of one that comes from an engine and one over the wing, if you could explain that? Yeah, there's two types of contrails. There's engine exhaust contrails, and there's aerodynamic contrails. The exhaust contrails are formed just from the gases in the exhaust. You know, when you burn jet fuel, you get a lot of water. Like sometimes if you look at the back of your car on a cold day, you'll see water dripping out of, of the tailpipe because there's water in the exhaust. Sometimes though, you will see very different contrails that, that kind of look like they're coming from the entire wing. And what's happening there is just simply that when air passes over the top of the wing, its pressure is reduced. You get higher pressure underneath the wing and you get lower pressure on top of the wing and that's what creates the lift. Because if you rapidly reduce the pressure of air, it can't hold the water that it could hold before. The aerodynamic ones often occur at lower altitudes. And so when people see these, they get very suspicious. Well, why haven't the powers that be figured out how to put chemicals into these planes that don't leave trails? Well, I, I think you know the idea with there is that they're doing it in plain sight and ah, people have, okay. uh, have got used to it now. Yeah, the, the chemtrail conspiracy theory started in the, the late 1990s, I think about 96-ish. In the theory, the different conspiracy theories on contrails, what is the chemical? Is there like a spectrum of chemicals that people are claiming are put out there? I mean, 
if there was, how would how could we not detect it? Yeah, uh, it, it varies. Mm. Some people will say sulfur dioxide because that's a, a geoengineering chemical. Uh, some people will say it is it's aluminum or aluminum oxide because they read somewhere on the internet like 20 years ago that that is something that that might be used. And some people say uh, strontium and or barium. Like someone decided that they're going to test for strontium and barium in their rainwater and their soil in their backyard. And of course, they find some of those strontium and barium because they're just common elements that exist everywhere in, in small amounts. Same as aluminum. Aluminum is the most common metal in the Earth's crust. In California, the ground is about between 5 and 10% aluminum. So you go out and you, you know, test the ground, you find aluminum, and people are like, oh my God, they're spraying aluminum on us. But no, it's just, it's just <laughs> everywhere. There was, there was one person in my book who believed in chemtrails very strongly because he'd seen these photos of barrels in planes, which look very compelling. But these barrels on planes were just, uh, they're things called ballast barrels, and they're used during the development of a plane to simulate passengers, and they contain water, and they can move it around. Nothing suspicious at all. But if someone didn't know that, they could very easily think it's, it's chemtrails. So the amount of cover-up kind of depends upon how many people are involved. They say, you know, we could just have a few people in the fuel depot who just secretly sneak in and add a little bit of, you know, fuel additive, which then creates these chemtrails. But realistically, you can do some of the math on the size of the trails and how much substance they would have to uh, contain. And it would have to be a lot, which means that the weight and balance of the planes would be off, which means that the pilots all have to be involved. And if the pilots all have to be involved, then someone has to be in charge of making sure that the pilots don't squeal. You've become sort of an expert on conspiracy theories in general and how to try to either debunk them or or help people move out of the rabbit hole, as you talk about. And I, my question is essentially why? Well, they're basically bought into a worldview. They think the world operates in a certain way, that there's this massive overarching conspiracy and so they think that everything that happens has to fit into that idea of an overarching conspiracy. And so if you address one of those points and then you explain how that particular point is wrong, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really change their opinion because they're just like, oh, well, that must have been a bit of disinformation that was inserted in there by the Illuminati. And now, thanks, we can discard that and we can move on to the other 199 things. People who believe in one conspiracy theory will generally believe in a bunch of others. And it's usually on a kind of a spectrum or a scale of conspiracy theories. You can think of conspiracy theories, uh, very simple ones like Big Pharma conspires to cover up test results or Volkswagen conspires to cover up their emission test results, things like that. You know, conspiracies which mm -hmm. are you know real and then you can easily imagine another conspiracy that you don't know if it's real or not. And then you can go all the way up through things like 9-11 you know, was an inside job, the government spraying chemtrails. Is there a wide spectrum of like who supposedly is is behind this? Some people say it's big government or or the CIA or the Illuminati or pick your poison. It's because the chemtrail conspiracy theory is such a large theory and involves so many moving parts and at all levels of government and, and industry and you know, even weather forecasters are apparently involved. It really has to be a conspiracy that is created by the people who run the world. Ah, those people. <laughs> yeah, they, they have to be the ones who are ultimately behind that. So who that actually is depends on what your perception is of the people who run the world. But then you'll, you'll see people like they pick individual targets, like, you know, they'll pick, say, George Soros 
or they might pick someone like Bill Gates. Because Bill Gates has, obviously his foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, funds loads and loads of things. They spend billions of dollars. And one of the things they spent money on was something that was a geoengineering research program. Just, you know, they probably spent like half a million dollars or something. But someone makes that connection and then all of a sudden, you know, Bill Gates is the great Satan who's behind the whole chemtrail thing. Oftentimes behind conspiracy theories, in a lot of them, somebody benefits from them climate change deniers. With this particular one, is there anyone who would amplify or push this conspiracy theory? I think any foreign adversary benefits from spreading conspiracy theories in a country that spread distrust of the government. So if you can convince a lot of people that the government is spraying toxic chemicals over you, then you know, from, say, the Russians' point of view, that would be a good thing. There's a little bit of benefit to climate deniers if they can mm-hmm. convince people that the government is controlling the weather then people aren't going to be concerned about doing anything about it. Is there any overlap with Agent Orange, which, of course, was an actual program? Agent Orange does fit in a little bit, but something more significant is Operation Popeye, which was an operation during the Vietnam War to seed clouds. They would actually alter the weather by seeding clouds with silver iodide to make it rain more and make the trails less accessible and more muddy so it'd be more difficult for the North Vietnamese to move around. So there was a very real program of using weather as a weapon in the Vietnam War. Well, thank you very much for your time. Given your expertise on these things, I I hope we can have you back again to talk about some of these these other issues. Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. This is super. So let's take a breather and uh, back in a moment. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And this is a trailer for a new podcast called Get It to Dutch, A Screenwriter's Journey. It's about screenwriting. And a journey. The three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know. And I made the podcast. I made the podcast. And I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. 
Unlike any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back. We have yet another expert, David Keith. David is a professor of geophysical science at the University of Chicago. He also spent many years at Harvard and is one of the foremost experts on climate systems engineering. He has done important work in climate science, physics, technology, and public policy. David also has been involved in seeking to debunk conspiracy theories because, frankly, a lot of conspiracists have attacked him for his work. So if you could, David, please explain a little bit about the kind of work you do and why someone might get nervous about it. Well, I've done climate science for 30 years or so, kind of going in between really classic science, just trying to understand how nature works or uh, trying to get a satellite to measure temperatures, to stuff that's really about trying to reduce the problem, a lot of stuff on CO2 capture and storage and kind of energy system decarbonization. But then the thing I'm probably most visible for is work on these ideas that are often called geoengineering, the idea that humans might be able to deliberately inject, say, sulfuric acid in the stratosphere in a way that would actually reduce climate change a little bit. This is a not, not in it, by any means necessarily a good idea. Uh, there's some evidence that actually could reduce risk quite a lot, but it, it has a bunch of risks and there's some hard governance challenges. So at least the way I see myself, I'm not an advocate of doing it, uh, but I am an advocate of researching in a serious way and beginning to talk about how it would be governed. Is this supposed to be just in the US or to have an impact around the world, they would have to be doing it in China, Russia, Australia, other places as well, and not just inside the US. Is this a global thing or a US thing or a CIA thing, a US Air Force thing? The people who believe it are certainly outside the US. So we actually did some high quality polling of US, Canada, and UK, where we asked people some version of, do you believe the government is illicitly spraying stuff? And I don't remember the exact numbers, but there are a substantial number of people in Canada and the UK. But one time, for example, we had a meeting in, as I recall, Cambridge, UK. This is probably 15 years ago. We meaning scientists who work on this solar geoengineering stuff. And there were protesters outside with a big banner who had my name on it and said that I was paid by Bill Gates and trying to extinguish life on earth or something. I mean, this is the problem. Is To me, they don't seem to have a very coherent view of what's happening, except that we're lying. So I, I watched a, a video of you, I think I was on YouTube, speaking to some conspiracy theorists on this very issue on chemtrails. But if you're patient and try to explain to people, number one is, does that work? 
I'm kind of inclined to think that when individual people think this and they actually engage with you, there's a good chance it can help. I think what is where there's less chance of any help is, you know, if you think of somebody like, I think his name is Dane Whittington, who's one of the most visible people doing this. Uh, to be clear, I've I've met him, but I don't really know what drives him. But an obvious explanation for what drives him that I don't think is any big conspiracy is just kind of thinking about how things work is money, that he's making money through his YouTube channels off hits. I, I'd also say that, that probably 90% of the people, 95% of the people couldn't tell you the physical forces yep. on how an yep. airplane made of metal gets into the air, right? I mean, it, it does. We all see that. But I couldn't explain to you why. And if somebody did, they would probably use a lot of terminology that I really don't understand, right? I just sort of accept it. And the same with cloud formations. The basic thing with contrails, and it's talking with some people, is people sort of struggle with like basic cloud formation and and how a hot engine in a cold environment would produce clouds even before you get into like what's being sprayed. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is if I say to the chemtrails people, you're wrong because the integral of the differential of the barium concentration with the quantum orbital sub B right. uh, is six, you guys are idiots. Obviously, their reaction to that is this guy's an arrogant prick and he's talking down to us and he's not taking us seriously, which is fair enough. I think one of the biggest ways to help get people to change is to get people not to convince them on the core science, but on the kind of human dimensions of what would be the motivation for this conspiracy anyway, and how easily it would be to debug. So of the technologies that science is looking at to deal with climate change and climate problems, are there any that would require airplanes spraying something? So yes, that's part of the reason this overlap between the chemtrails conspiracy and solar geoengineering. If you were going to implement solar geoengineering using these stratospheric aerosols, it would almost certainly be done by aircraft. Now, the aircraft would fly about twice as high as conventional aircraft, and they wouldn't make visible contrails, but they would be aircraft distributing materials. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the, the level of funniness, I was at a meeting in Paris. It was a UN small meeting through the UN Environment Program about 10 years ago. And a guy who's a kind of a lieutenant, a second to this senior Russian scientist, he presented this picture showing that it was really all an American chemtrails conspiracy. And it was sort of embarrassingly easy to debunk. His picture was a picture that often appears with these websites of a I believe it's a 747 configured with a bunch of tanks inside to spray material. It's in fact owned by Evergreen Aviation. It's very easy to find this out. It's an aircraft that's been reconfigured for firefighting. And so it does have lots of tanks and sprayers. It's not very hard to find it. So he showed me this picture and I was able like two minutes later to pull up a picture from the Evergreen Aviation website that was the same picture. And they were kind of embarrassed. They didn't really admit they were wrong. But there's this way in which it's both this kind of deep, like, you guys are the cause of this conspiracy theory, and this kind of incredibly shallow evidentiary basis. Absolutely fascinating. Now over to John Stern. More than research, I have a, a real tweet for you today. <laughs> guys, that's a pun. <laughs> Kylie Jenner is a real believer in chemtrails, and you can tell because she made a ton of tweets about them. I'm going to have Aaron Hayes read them to you a little bit later. But first, I was looking into the chemicals that people thought were being sprayed. So one person I talked to is Mark Green. I wanted him to talk about the feasibility of a chemical that could be sprayed on people to cause infertility. 
I'm a reproductive biologist. I am associate professor here at the University of Melbourne in Australia. I'm also the deputy director for Monash IVF, which is a big human and reproductive ART clinic. My background is really in looking at how endocrine disrupting chemicals, so pesticides, plasticizers, affect reproduction. And I study that in many species, humans, mice, cattle, sheep, marsupials, and just have a look at how basically we're poisoning our wildlife and ourselves with our everyday products. The particular conspiracy theory that we're talking to you about today is known by the name chemtrails. Different groups and different populations think they're being poisoned to keep them from reproducing. The first most basic question is, does a chemical exist that could create infertility? In males and females, there's probably not one single chemical that would directly target our reproduction that could be sprayed like that. So not directly, but there are many, many chemicals that we spray on purpose for farming, for example, crop dusting, all of those that will absolutely depress your fertility. It won't go to the point of actually stopping it, but it will also give you some pretty nasty effects in terms of your reproductive tract. So not one chemical probably that can outright stop you and make you infertile, but definitely lots of chemicals that we do use every day that will decrease our fertility. Would it be possible to intentionally create a mixture or combination? Probably most of the chemicals that we would design are likely to make us very sick anyway. So it wouldn't be something that would be able to target your reproduction without making the rest of the body sick. So if we are getting sick, that's usually the first thing that stops. That's why it's a good indicator for when we've got environmental pollution or whether we're being generally sick or poisoned. And we can see that, but not specifically targeting the reproductive tract without actually affecting the rest of the body. Now let's talk quantity. How much would be needed if you were just to spray them with an aerosol? Great question. Not much. Generally, many of the chemicals I study, endocrine disrupting chemicals, you need in picograms and femtogram, and they can compete with our normal hormones that are in nanograms. Would it be more effective to just put the chemical in the water supply? Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the problem. What we're doing in our current society is that many of the chemicals, the 90,000 plus chemicals that we've manufactured since the Second World War actually are used for a specific purpose, but then sadly get into the groundwater and into our water supply. And so, yeah, every day we are ingesting hundreds of different chemicals that will have negative effects, including ones that we actively choose. So we know in Western countries that it's about one in six couples, about 15% of people are infertile or subfertile, so would need some medical intervention to conceive. Um, And we know that's increasing quite rapidly. And it's definitely got to be environmental because of the rate that this is increasing. That's about chemicals that could affect reproduction. I was also looking into mind control chemicals. Now, I'm sure you guys know a lot about this since you you were young adults in the 60s. How old were you guys in the 60s? <laughs> I lived through the 60s. You lived through them. That's that's the best you can say. I was 13 when the 60s ended, so I'm not that old. Well, I will say that I could not find evidence of a real mind control drug, but there is all sorts of experimentation with hypnosis and barbiturates. And of course, you've talked about MK Ultra before and programs like that. So there may be places with individuals where some susceptibility was created, but something that could be sprayed over a population to create a blanket mind control. And then, of course, there's Get Smart Movie, the nude bomb, where they sprayed something that made everyone's clothes disappear. 
but they didn't need a spray for that. All they needed was a Grateful Dead concert, right, guys? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> there were two drugs that seemed to be the most effective. One of them, of course, is sodium pentothal, which is known as a truth serum. Here's the quote. The, the drug tends to make subjects verbose and cooperative with interrogators. However, the reliability of confessions made under sodium pentothal is questionable. Right. Well, there is the truth serum that the Russians used on you quite often, which is vodka, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, when, when my first tour, I, I had you know Russian friends. So our job in CIA is to befriend Russian intelligence officers and hopefully get them to turn and, and like us and trust us and want to work with us and work against their own government. And that did involve a lot of drinking. They had vodka and cognac that was Russian. And so you'd sit with your Russian counterpart, but they had tear off tops. And so if you sat down with one person to share vodka, you had to finish the bottle. Like there's no screw on to put the top back on. The two of you would sit there and, and go through like an entire bottle of vodka, which is miserable and hard. It makes your stomach bleed. But then it was like, you're having such a good time. They bring in that second bottle of vodka and it's like, oh no, I'm an American. I can't hang in with these Russians. <laughs> now there is a Russian drug called SP-117. That's actually considered a highly effective truth serum in terms of my research, but it also occurs to me it would behoove the Russians to leak that information so that people thought they had a highly effective truth serum, even if they didn't. That makes sense. The fun thing about SP-17 is it has no taste, color, or smell. So that can make you paranoid that anything <laughs> that you're drinking or eating could possibly have it. Roofied by the Russians. Wouldn't be the first time. I do want to play for you Aaron Hayes reading the Kylie Jenner tweets. I don't want Adam to miss them because, you know, Adam was on This American Life and that's kind of a big deal. So I think we should bring, we should bring Adam in. I'm starting to believe in a conspiracy that you guys like to make fun of me. Yeah, you're, you're right. I sort of feel bad about it because it's just too damn easy. Like, I, there's no sport in it. Huh? It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the only way a CIA guy could shoot fish. Bless his heart. All right. No, Adam, it's great having you God bless him. And when we come back, we'll have more of this enjoyable banter with Adam. <laughs> hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey everyone, I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And this is a trailer for a new podcast called Get It to Dutch, A Screenwriter's Journey. It's about screenwriting. And a journey. The three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? Well, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm, but I don't know, and I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast, and I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood cesp- uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm a little starstruck, guys. I will be honest, I'm not starstruck by Kylie Jenner. I'm very much not starstruck by Jerry O'Shea, but I am starstruck by Erin Hayes, who's one of the best comedic actresses of our time. And somehow she is going to read Kylie Jenner's tweets. Why did I see 75 planes spraying white stuff into the sky on my 15-minute drive to work? Who pays for this and why is it happening? Is something being exterminated here? Is that something me? Does this have anything to do with why honeybees are dying off really fast? Why are some days normal with no planes spraying and others look like this? Whose is responsible? What effect will this have on our health and our children's future? Who the fuck thought this was a good idea? Am I the only one who sees this? I gotta say, what really strikes me is that is not an off-the-cuff. That is somebody, like, driving, looking, and asking themselves a whole bunch of questions, and then really spending some time getting those questions down and feeling very proud. Even though they all seem to have fairly easy answers. It's basically like, how come some days the weather outside is warm and other days it's cold? <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? Well, fuck honeybees. Fuck honeybees. <laughs> I'm just not sure it's a conspiracy. I think it's just like a natural process. No, we need honeybees. Honeybees are cool. <laughs> Is CIA um, anti-honeybee? The tweets, though, who is they? Like, they have a plan. They are doing... Why? Who are they and why are they doing it? I guess we all have these thoughts sometimes. Like, why is, you know, why is this so messed up? Hmm. But 
she could have spent as much time Googling as typing to her millions of followers <laughs> and probably come to some good conclusions. Well, look, I'm 53. I've been looking at these things since I was, you know, a kid. I can say that the theory that it suppresses libido has played out in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it also makes you put on weight, lose hair, lose the desire to exercise, makes you forget names and details that you used to be able to remember quickly. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what I love about this one is that it is so malleable. Like leaving it aside as, is it an accurate representation of how the world works? As a tool, it's perfect. It is the perfect conspiracy theory because you can apply it anywhere to anything equally. If our assignment was create a conspiracy theory we can use for anything, anywhere, at any time. We can say it's poisoning the food. We can say it's making the food grow. We can say it's suppressing libido. We can say it's raising libido and emotion. It seems like the perfect conspiracy theory. And the, the conspiracy theory, if you want to make one up or on chemtrails, it can't be disprovable, right? So if you've got an unfalsifiable hypothesis, you can claim anything. Right. Our whole career was based on the fact that people needed to believe conspiracy theories so that we could do our job. We had to go out and trick foreign governments and foreign people into doing what we wanted them to do. So we relied on people's ability to believe one thing when another thing was true. Conspiracies to work, as John was outlining, have to be effective. They can't be talked about in public. They can't be obvious like chemtrails. And they also have to be small, right? I mean, the best kept secret is like between just two people when one of them's dead and I'm the other person, right? That's a good kept secret. The chemtrails is mainly just a cover to make people think that's how we're being poisoned when in fact it's through our water. Yes. Fluoride. Yes. Oh, yeah. This conspiracy seems to be something that grew organically. Like, I'm not clear that there's somebody behind this conspiracy. But to a certain extent, there are people who make money off of these things, right? Clickbait that make money off of people being afraid, right? Angertainment. I mean, somebody like Alex Jones could push certain conspiracy theory. There's, there's money to be made in that, not by everybody, but by a few people. Can we dig into what the role the conspiracy theory is playing I go straight, I mean, this was what I studied in college, but I go straight to most early civilizations that had, they believed in a thunder god and a cloud god and a rain god and a river god and a water god and a, and a sky god, a sun god, a moon god. Got it. And, <laughs> right. keep, keep going, won't you, Ed? <laughs> God of love, a god of wine, a god of war. I was actually talking to my son about this the other day, like, you can imagine you're looking around, there's parts of the world that feel kind of local and intimate, like just your neighborhood, your block, your house. And then there's parts of the earth that feel so vast and crazy. And even with our knowledge of atmospheric science and model of the solar system, it still can feel crazy. <laughs> I think a lot of people, intellectually, they understand it, but emotionally it isn't. It's so we actually do put something in planes every plane in the sky. We put it in volume. It's called fuel. Like It's a big thing to get the right amount of fuel to all the airports all over the country. It's really noticeable. They have to contain it. They have to contain it safely. There's people who are trained to take it from the big container to the trucks and then from the trucks to put it on the plane. If we really want to be creative, we could say 
Oh yeah, they're putting it in the fuel. So it's just done at the refinery. But even I've been to refineries. Those are really big operations with lots and lots of people. You know, but the more you think about it, the more you're like, this would involve a lot of infrastructure. And I just looked up and I said, how many airplanes, for example, are there in the United States? And it's well over 200,000 airplanes. And so the notion of, of, of getting fuel to hundreds of thousands of airplanes at probably tens of thousands of airfields is not a small thing. I'll throw in a rejoinder here in that I think that there may actually be real conspiracies around what we're talking about, but they're doing the exact opposite. They're denying that they're happening. So things like microplastics, which are actually being absorbed into every human being on earth as plastic gets smaller and right. smaller and smaller, it gets into the fish and we eat it and it's inside of placentas, inside of us. And, and so we don't really know what that does. And a conspiracy not to study this from fossil fuel industry is really high. Things like smoking, which which does put poison into, you know, at least in that generation and most males, there was a conspiracy to not allow to be seen what the what the impact was. And I think the same is with global warming. That there's a huge industry that is a self-serving industry that is there to deny that there is a impact on basically everybody. So yeah, that's actually a really I, I, good point. I'm actually, I'm actually, yeah, your surprise is coming from me, right? Yeah, but I think it's- Yeah, I am, I'm shocked. <laughs> I think, let's let's just let this, let's let this episode trail off. Like with Jet Engines, I think we have just exhausted this conversation. <laughs> well, you certainly did with that comment. So please come back and see us next time on Mission Implausible. Mission Implausible is produced by Adam Davidson, Jerry O'Shea, John Seifer, and Jonathan Stern. The associate producers are Rachel Harner and David Solinger. This has been a production of Honorable Mention and Abominable Pictures for iHeartMedia. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.